Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Every week on Tuesday, we lean back in our chair and we put our boots up on the desk and we put an old piece of straw in our mouth and we kind of chew on the straw and listen to this old sage as he comes walking in, Dr. History. Morning, Deb. <laughs> Hello, old sage. Guy, and I'm just this young guy. You know what bothers me is you are younger than I am. <laughs> I know, <laughs> and I always will be. <laughs> well, we'll have to debate that. But uh, are you going to go to the Cache County Fair this year? Oh yeah, I can't miss that. That's that's tradition. Okay, well, um, it's also tradition to bring you a little special treat. Well, now that was exactly what I was leading up to. How be it? I didn't want to beg. I didn't want to implore. But so be that. I'm going to beg and implore. Be sure and don't forget my little treat. Okay. Well, that's become a tradition too. <laughs> you know what, though, I got to tell you something. That last year, when you combined the food groups of whole natural grains in the form of a maple bar, and of course meat products in the form of high protein bacon, that was very delicious. I, I know, and probably some people are thinking that doesn't sound good. But you got to admit that was pretty good stuff. I'm looking forward to it, and make sure that they are delivered warm. <laughs> <laughs> We'll, we'll get her done. <laughs> oh, my goodness. What are we going to talk about this week? Well, we're going to talk about a guy named Black Bart. Uh-oh, bad guy. Yeah, but not a bad, bad guy. Kind of a good, bad guy. Now, wait a minute. Uh, That's kind of an oxymoron. How could you be a I good, know. bad guy? Well, you know, when we get done with the story, I think you'll kind of see what I mean. Now, he was here in Idaho, wasn't he? He was. He actually spent some time, let's see, I want to say Montana, Idaho, uh, but most of what we're going to, well, everything we're going to talk about is when he was in California. Yeah, but you know, he... He did spend some time up to this area. I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought that didn't he rob some stages over in the Weezer area at one time? Well, uh, from the story I've got, all the robbing he did was over in California. Oh, well... I don't think he did any over this direction. But, you know, of all the names, of all the names of Western characters that has stuck through the ages, a lot of people always refer to the bad guys as Black Bart. You know what? I know. Well, I don't know if you ever watched this, the Christmas story at Christmas time with the little boy and his daisy... Uh, baby gun. Yes. Uh, he, he always shoots Black Bart and his gang. Yes, he does. Well, you go ahead. Uh, one of the uh, gang members that went straight, a chiropractor, Dr. History. Okay. Well, Black Bart, he was really a meticulous, organized, and efficient guy. 
Uh, he eluded capture pretty well, but he kind of possessed a sense of humor, and uh, I'll get to that here in a little bit uh, as I quote some of his uh, poetic uh, writings. But uh, anyway, Charles Bolton was his name. He was a gentleman. He took the robbery late in life, apparently coming to believe that he could make more money as a highwayman than he than from an honest living. So, but he operated in California between 1875 and 1883. Now, he was a solo bandit. He didn't have anybody with him. And he robbed, they figure, over two dozen stagecoaches without firing a single shot. Now, on a couple of occasions, he left pieces of verse, poetry, and he signed it Black Bart, the P.O. Dash 8. And I don't know what that stands for, but, but and I guess that's where he got the name Black Bart. Mm-hmm. And through this, he kind of endeared himself to the newspaper men and the people. And uh, But he was the master of the lone stagecoach holdup, and really a, a guy of style, really. Um, his real name was probably Charles Bold, but he went by the name of Bolton. He was an Easterner, born and raised in New York. When the Civil War broke out, he left his wife and three kids and moved to Illinois, where he served on the Union side as a sergeant in the 116th Illinois Volunteer Infantry. Okay. Now, after the war, you know, like a lot of these guys, uh, they were, he was kind of heartsick and disillusioned by the misery and the squalor of the conflict that was had, was left there. So he may have reunited with reunited with his wife for a short time, but he didn't stay very long. He mm-hmm. drifted west to California, and like a lot of people, he was told of the riches of the gold and and but like a lot of men before him he learned that this lure of gold turned out to be false but uh, anyway he moved from job to job working in mining uh, before choosing the free life of a uh, thief and money was always a problem so what was a gentleman to do but you know go out and steal it absolutely so, i mean uh, you couldn't think about possibly getting a job at wendy's or whatever you had to go out and rob you know, stagecoaches yeah i mean what's the guy to do you know you need some money so wells fargo had plenty and the state of california and the wells fargo stage com- com- company they they found out well 1875 was uh, the day he started july 26th it was kind of an overcast muggy day the wells fargo stagecoach was moving slowly up this mountain road kind of a rough road dusty and dirty and the driver was bouncing on the seat as the team strained to get through this hot uh, steep hill the rocks were all over the place uh, anyway the road twisted and turned and the driver his name was John Shines okay well he was really working on these horses to keep them from going over the edge of the road and anyways he came around a, a curve uh, this uh guy stepped out in front of the uh, stagecoach and John Shine looked at him he was a tall individual in a long dun colored duster standing in the middle of the road he had a white flower sack with two eye holes cut out that covered his head and face and uh, more importantly he had a shotgun mm-hmm. and he the first words he said was throw down your box which of course means the strong box right well John Shine stared at him and uh uh, saw the shotgun, the hooded robber, uh, robber and without a word, uh, Shines reached under his seat, threw down the strong box into the road in front of the stagecoach, and it contained over $2,000. Mm-hmm. Now, the bandit waited for the dust to settle, and then he motioned, didn't say anything, he just motioned with his shotgun for the stage to keep going. Okay. Well, so John Shines, he 
flicks at the horses and they take off and uh, stagecoach went around a bend and the masked man bent over and drove the strong box away well John Shines uh, <clears throat> he uh, stopped the stage a little way down the road and he was about four miles from a town called Copperopolis I've never heard of that maybe you have I have you know as a matter of fact I have I've been there it was about seven years ago okay yeah. so you know about where we're talking yes about. I do Okay. Well, instead of going on to town, Shines wanted to make sure that he wasn't just having a vision or a hallucination or a heat stroke, because this was kind of a ghostly figure, and he was kind of puzzling it over in his mind, and the robbery, robbery had taken place so fast that Shines needed to reassure himself that it had actually happened. Mm -hmm. So he stopped the stagecoach, he walked back to where the road began to curve, and scanning the woods and the rocky uh, outcrops, he suddenly stopped because he saw six rifles trained on him by bandits hiding behind boulders. Uh-oh. So he raised his hands. Well, he looked a little harder, and then he lowered his hands because the bandits didn't move. The rifles were sticks propped up on dummies, and he trudged back to the stagecoach, still kind of pondering this kind of unusual stage holdup. So this began the criminal career of a man who became known as Black Bart, or the gentleman robber. But... His, his method of operating would pretty much stay the same over the, uh, over the few years that he did this. He always robbed stagecoaches. He always picked a treacherous road that was high in the mountains, little traveled, narrow, full of curves and twists and bends, desolate. His costume remained the same. He always wore this long duster that reached below his knees and a white sack over his head with two eye holes. He always carried a shotgun. He didn't say much at all except telling the driver to throw down the box. Uh, and according to the passengers and the drivers, he uh, he always used a few stuffed dummies to cover him from the side. I thought and you were talking about... Yelled, I thought you were talking okay. about the Obama administration there for a minute. I got sidetracked. <laughs> a few fake dummies. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, he would sometimes, uh, just to make it more real, he'd yell to this his fake partners and he said... You know, now if he dares to shoot, you guys shoot back. And, uh, of course, they couldn't because they, they couldn't. But uh, anyway, each time after the bandit disappeared with the loot, the driver and the passengers found that they'd been intimidated by a bunch of sacks stuffed with cotton and tied with rope. And this one figure always seemed to disappear without a trace. Mm -hmm. And the pursuing posses found nothing in the way of clues. Now, during this time, of rob there's a lot of robbers roaming the hills in Dallas of California. But Bolton, or Black Bart, had his own style. He was very meticulous, very organized. He always got away, but he had a sense of humor. And I'm going to, you know, I'll get to that a little bit. But <clears throat> anyway, the stage drivers always noticed that the lone bandit wore large socks over his boots so that he wouldn't leave any distinctive heel marks. Hmm. Now, that's, that's kind of unique. Yeah, it he is. He also never rode a horse. Oh, my. So, uh, but he would stuff his coat with whatever the strong box contained, and Black Bart actually later revealed that planning a heist involved walking out to a desolate location. He would camp overnight in the woods without a fire. He would cache food along the way, and then he would plan the, the best place to be positioned and preparing a carefully sought-out escape route for himself and uh, always setting up his decoys, his fake partners. Oh, my. So... Now, aside from careful planning and survival skills, um, he avoided capture because his robberies were so sporadic. I mean, he would uh, only rob when he needed cash, so sometimes months would go by between holdups. Mm -hmm. Well, 
then he'd suddenly appear and uh, then disappear. But uh, following a number of holdups in 1875 and 76, there was a kind of a lull in the activity, and the stage, ro- stage guys uh, thought that things were okay. Then 1877, north of Santa Rosa, uh, uh, here was a stage going up out in the boonies there somewhere, and um, as the driver east, they coached around two enormous boulders, Black Bart stepped into the road and leveled a shotgun at the driver. Mm, boy. Well, the hooded bandit gave the now familiar command, command in a polite but firm voice. He said, throw down your Wells Fargo box. So the driver threw it down, and he says, I don't want your money. I only want that, referring to the strong box. And uh, he motioned the driver on his way and bowed slightly to the female passengers on the stage as it passed and to the way they went. Now, this time, the take from the robbery was oh, about $600. And anyway, a posse scouring the road and surrounding hills found the Wells Fargo box the next day. And it had been emptied of its contents, but it contained a, scrawl, a scrawled note, uh, a little poem. And here's what it read, and I may change some things just for the heck of it. I figured you might. <laughs> it says, I've, labor- I've labored long and hard for bread for honor and for riches. But on my corns too long you've tread, you fine-haired sons of the guns. Yeah, that's what I thought you were going to do. I was sweating, honestly. Uh, I almost called for a little bit of deodorant there because you made me very nervous. <laughs> well, this is, a, this is a family show. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it kind of gives you an idea of his uh, uh, sense of humor. But it was signed Black Bart PO-8. And again, I don't know what that stands for, but... Mm. Anyway, the newspapers, they kind of utilize, they really like this guy. (laughs) (laughs) That's hard to say. (laughs) Because he was a successful bandit, uh, you know, gentleman robber who had a sense of humor. But uh, Wells Fargo, they weren't too fond of this guy, and the lawmen weren't too amused either. And uh, even rumors spread that this was done by a ghost. I mean, his mysterious appearances and disappearance, you know, just remained unexplained. But anyway, another year passed and Black Bart struck again. This time he robbed a stage traveling between Oroville and Quincy in 1878. And mm-hmm. again, he ordered the strong box that only had about $400 in it this time. And this time he did relieve one of the passengers of a diamond ring and a watch. And again, the next day they found the strong box and it had another verse. Now this time I'll be able to tell the whole thing. Oh, good. Uh, Here I lay me down to sleep to wait the coming morrow perhaps success, perhaps defeat, and everlasting sorrow. Yet come what will, I'll try it once. My conditions can be worse. And if there's money in that box, there's money in my purse. You know, so, that one of the things I've noticed about the Old West, and uh, whether you're talking about Doc Holliday, whether you're talking about Wyatt Earp, whether you're talking about Wild Bill Hickok or whatever, that in the research that I've done, their articulation, their speech, their speech patterns were very, in some terms, very elegant. Yes, yeah. Uh, and obviously this guy had to be an educated man. Number one, he could write, and number two, he could write poetry. Yeah, So, especially but, the first one. In, yeah. <laughs> anyway, the newspapers had a field day with this, and uh, uh, the drivers uh, uh, all attested to the courteous manner of this outlaw and, and his reluctance uh, to use a shotgun. And in the course of 29 holdups, Black Bart never fired a shot. Really? 29 holdups? Yeah. yeah. Never fired a shot. Well, 
things kind of started going downhill. About 1882, there's a guy named George Hackett. He was driving the stagecoach, and Black Bart jumped out from behind a boulder and very politely said, please throw down the strong box. Well, Hackett reached for his rifle, raised it to his waist, and fired a shot at the masked man. Well, uh, Black Bart took off running, and this kind of ruined his uh, reputation. His Robin days were near an end, and he didn't want to get killed or shot. I mean, heavens, you, you know, this could be a dangerous occupation. I mean, he considered himself a gentleman. So, But he did carry off a couple more uh, robberies before he finished. Uh, in fact, the next one, he uh, got shot at again. And actually, this time, what happened was uh, he they shot and it hit his hand. And so he was bleeding. And as he was running, he dropped a little bundle, including a handkerchief. Uh-oh. This proved to be his undoing. There were two lawmen named Hume and Morris, and they realized that this was their first lead. And so the handkerchief bore a San Francisco laundry mark. And so just like detectives of today, they went to 91 different laundry facilities, and they visited every one, and uh, they did what the posses couldn't do. There was one particular laundry shop, and the guy said, yeah, Mr. Bolton here has done business with us for a few years. Well, and they t- the guy told him where, the, where this guy lived, and so they went to Bolton's hotel and placed him under arrest. Well, the detectives hauled Black Bart down to San Francisco County, J- County Jail and got him to confess to some of the stage robberies, and, of course, he was convicted. Um, the judge sentenced Black Bart to seven years in the San Quentin prison. Mm. And that began in 1883. So Bolton was actually a model prisoner, and he served only four and a half years of his sentence before being released. But the years in prison kind of took a toll on him. He, he started robbing later in life, so he was a little bit older. But uh, So anyway, this tall and proud highwayman was now kind of stooped over. He was deaf in one ear. His vision was going. He had white hair. Um, anyway, the newspaper reporters waited for him to come out when he was released, and of course they asked him, have you given up your criminal ways? Uh, will you ever rob again? And, and Black Bart insisted that he was done holding up stagecoaches and just wanted to live a peaceful, happy life. But uh, anyway, later rumors kind of uh, came out that Wells Fargo had quietly provided the bandit with a pension. You're kidding him. me. You're kidding and me. It, w- no, it, it, this is a rumor, but it was kind of a sort of an independent income, if you want to call it that, on the condition that he would never rob stagecoaches again. Let me ask you a question here. Um, according to what you were saying, he robbed about 30, rounded off, 30 stagecoaches. Right. And it sounds like the average, I know there were some big uh, takes and some small takes, the average might have been about $500, and that's right. only $15,000. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he wasn't a, you know, he didn't take a lot of money, but, you know, and back then, you know, of course, $1 went a long ways. Yeah. So, and, you know, if you happen to get a pretty good take on one robbery, then he probably wouldn't do anything for a year. I got to ask you this. I, I think we talked about this on a, on a past program, and I want to get your response to it. Uh, Hollywood has built up, you know, the stage robbers and the train robbers and everything. Now, Dr. History, nothing gets by you. You're a sharp guy, okay? Would you care to tell me the sense of making a Hollywood movie about the Old West and having some guy 
ride his horse onto the train tracks in front of a train holding a gun, and here comes a train at 35 miles an hour, and this guy said, Stop the train! Now, come on, Dr. History, explain to me why any stupid engineer would ever consider following orders of stop the train. Well, and then the robber, you know, I'm thinking he must have a blind horse or something, because that horse isn't going to stay in front of a train. Yeah, but one guy says he gets on the railroad tracks, stop the train. Now, yeah. I wasn't born yesterday. You mean to tell me a multi-ton locomotive is going to stop for one guy with a gun? Well, and then, too, after so long, don't you think those engineers would have a, a few shotguns in, in their cab with them? Do you think? <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, it only has to happen once uh, before that engineer is going to have a little defense in, in that cab with him. I was watching a Western movie the other day, and it just drove me nuts. This guy strode out onto the railroad tracks with two Colt 45s in his hand, and he stood in the middle of the railroad tracks, and he said, Stop the train! What do you mean, stop the train? <laughs> well, you know, again, what are they going to do? This train's going 35, 40, 45 miles an hour. Can you even really jump on a train at that speed? Yeah, well, I don't know, but it's going to look like one of those Bugs Bunny and the Roadrunner cartoons or whatever, you know what I mean? Or Wile E. Coyote. This guy's going to be laying flat on the tracks. I mean, anybody with common sense is going to know that a guy doesn't go out and stand in the middle of a railroad track with one little six-shooter and say, Stop the train. Yeah. Well, and, and that's what I like about this black bar. Like I say, he's kind of a good bad guy because, you know, he never shot anybody. He never even sh pulled the trigger. Uh, he was very courteous, uh, kind, uh, but very meticulous in planning. Uh, he, he was one of the smarter guys. I, in the past, we've talked about some dumb robbers that weren't too smart. They would get lost after they robbed a stagecoach or something. And, but uh, this guy, was he was pretty sharp. we got to so. do some more. Well, let's do some more of the dumb ones in the future. You know, find <laughs> some really dumb robbers, you know, and, and we'll I, talk I, about those. I've about that. I'll have to dig through that and see if I can find another dumb one. All right. Well, now, quickly, I've only got a minute left here, but uh, what was his affiliation with the state of Idaho? Because I thought, sure, that he had robbed some stages or something up in Idaho. You know, I usually I get on the Internet after I uh, look at uh, through my book, and I did find where he had been here, but it didn't say anything about him doing any robberies, and maybe that was just that one source. Oh, okay. All right. So I... Uh, I'm not absolutely sure, but I don't think he did any robberies until he got to California. Okay, well, ladies and gentlemen, there you have it, the complete historical review of Black Bart and the old stagecoach robber. There you did it again. You piqued my interest for the whole show. It was a good one, Dr. History. Well, thanks. I, uh, I thought that was kind of a fun one. It is. And uh, what are we going to talk about next week now that you're planned all the way through September 15th? <laughs> After all these years, Evan, you still ask me that question. <laughs> and I get the same answer. I don't know. <laughs> I'll know about next Sunday night. All right, buddy. Hey, thanks again. God bless you. Have a good day. You have a good day, Zach. Chiropractor in Burley, my dear friend, Dr. Ken Turner, better known as Dr. History.